You are listening to New City Servant Podcast. We hope you're empowered and challenged as we root deep into God's word in order that we might grow in the good news of King Jesus and live as faithful citizens of his kingdom right here in our city. Let's get into the scriptures now. Good morning, New City. We are really winding down our Galatians series. We've been in it for 10 weeks now, and we're actually going to end uh, on Easter Sunday where we're going to talk about new creation, where Paul says uh, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What matters is new creation. And so it's been awesome. Uh, I've seen you wrestle with what the book of Galatians says and set you free around your identity in Christ, which is awesome. And one of the reasons that I really wanted to share this book with you, and Virginia did as well, because it has been so impactful for both of us personally in really establishing us in what Christianity truly is and what it's not. So let me pray for us, and then we're going to be talking about today uh, the gospel and comparing yourself, because I know no one ever struggles with comparing yourself to someone else, right? Let's pray, because we do need help. Lord Jesus, we thank you um, that we, as broken people, can look to a Savior who heals. He heals our relationship with God through your death. You also come in through your power of your spirit, and you give us a new identity as children of God that is unchanging, and therefore we can rest in that. But we need you to work again this morning to clarify some things for us about what it means to be a child of God and what it means to struggle with comparing ourselves to each other. We need the gospel again this morning. And all God's people said. All right, let's jump right in here with Galatians 5, 25 through 6.10. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. You go forward on the slide there. Brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, restore such a person, person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you also won't be tempted. Carry one another's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone considers himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Let each person examine his own work, and then he can take pride in himself alone and not compare himself with someone else, for each person will have to carry his own load. Let the one who has taught the word share all his good things with the teacher. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, he will also reap, because the one who sows to the flesh, to his flesh, will reap destruction from the flesh. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. Let us not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. The Word of God. Comparison is, uh, it's a funny thing. Uh, I think that oftentimes we compare ourselves 
to each other without even really realizing that's what we're doing. Um, it just leaks into our thinking, and so we are seeing pictures on Instagram and looking at what other people are doing with their lives, and without even really knowing it, I think we compare ourselves to one another. I heard a little funny story um, about comparison, and it's kind of cheesy, but I'm going to tell it anyway. Uh, there was this town, and in the town, uh, the small town, there were two brothers, and these two brothers were just awful human beings. They cheated on their taxes. They, they ripped other people off in business. They took advantage of people. They were mean to their families, and they were cruel to everyone else in the town. But because of all their shady business deals, they were wealthy. Both of the brothers, the older and the younger one, were both wealthy. And then the younger brother died. And the older brother went to a pastor at a church who was going to conduct the funeral and said, I know that you know everything that me and my brother have done, but I really want you, during the funeral service, I really want you to say that my brother was a saint. And the pastor, you know, I can feel this. I'm like, the pastor kind of like cringed a little bit. And then the brother said, the older brother said, and if you say that he was a, a saint, I will write a $100,000 check to your church. I really feel that, man. Like, oh gosh. So the pastor goes home and prays. And he comes to the funeral service. And he gets up to welcome everyone to mourn over the loss of this terrible person, this younger brother. And he says, um, you know, we all know that this man was kind of an awful human being. He cheated on his taxes. He was mean to people in the town. He was cruel to you, and he did shady business deals. But compared to his older brother, he was a saint. It's like the Lord answered that prayer. Comparison, it's a funny thing, isn't it? It's all, it's all relative, but it, it drives us. It really drives us and it motivates us. I mean, even if you look at Samsung and Apple, like what, what's motivating them to continue to put out new products? It's, it's a comparison game. Who's ahead? Who's got the better phone? And you buy a phone and then six months later, it's not even relevant anymore because there's a comparison game that's driving Apple and Samsung because comparison really, it's just part of human nature. It's just part of human nature. And so if someone says, I don't compare myself to others, I go, okay, come on. We all compare ourselves to each other. Even pastors, we do it too. It's just part of human nature. And what, that, what we end up doing is we begin to look at our lives, whether we're above or below other people, whether we are better or not as good as someone else. We look kind of up and down. But then we also compare in and out. So they're in with us because they don't do this thing, or I'm outside of them because compared to them, I'm not as good as them. We not only compare up and down, we compare in and out. And honestly, that, that whole thing is just becoming destructive in our society. We are really divided in this moment in our country. And the comparison game is leading our country to kind of fall apart. Not only as people groups, but also as individuals. I mentioned 
social media, and we're seeing all the studies on social media that it's leading to more dis depression and like dissatisfaction with life because we're constantly comparing ourselves on social media. And I think with our culture, we're having some amazing discussions right now about relationships between different groups of people, and yet at the same time, there feels to be this sort of destruction that's awaiting us because we're not, we're not coming to any resolutions in this comparison game. And what's funny is that's what Paul tells the Galatian church that is going to happen if they move away from the gospel. In chapter 5, in verse 25 and 26, he says, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Conceit is seeing yourself as better than others based on empty comparisons. So you're above someone, but you've made some comparison that is vain. It's empty. It's not worth comparing over. And provoking someone is when you call someone into a contest of comparison. And someone wins and someone loses. That's provoking. You're calling someone else to a contest where one person's in, one person's out. One person's above, one person's below. And envying is where we have this compelling feeling to destroy the good in someone else's life because we think they had some sort of unfair advantage. Cornelius Plantinga has a great quote on envy, and he talks about the difference between coveting and envying, and he says the coveter has empty hands and wants to fill them with someone else's good goods, while the envier has empty hands and therefore wants to empty the hands of the one envied. An envier resents not only somebody else's blessing, but also the one who has been blessed. Envy looks at what someone else has and doesn't just want that thing, but goes, they do not deserve that thing that they have in their hand because of some unfair advantage and because I envy them, because I have this overwhelming feeling as I compare myself to them, I've got to destroy what's in their hand. It's my right to take it away. It's my right to drag them down to where I am because they don't deserve to be above me. And envy will poison your soul. I say that from experience. Envy will poison your soul in the comparison game. Well, some go, well, what about righteous indignation? Like those brothers in the town, they got their position through unrighteousness, through cheating, through wrongdoing. There is a difference between resenting evil and being angry at injustice versus resenting the good thing that someone else has in their hand. Envy is resenting the good thing that's in their hand, not being angry at the injustice that you see. And there's a difference because an envious person feels disgraced by the good that's in someone else's hand. They're not just angry at the injustice, they feel disgraced by what they see as a blessing in someone else's hand. Someone else's attractiveness, someone else's wealth, 
someone else's success or power or victory or freedom or promotion. You look at that thing in that other person's hand and you feel disgraced by what's in their hand. That's envy. And envy really wants more than justice. Envy wants more than justice. Plantinga goes on to say this, envy's goal is to cut them, the other person, down to size and to change the basis of what? Comparison. Yeah. They don't deserve what they have in their hands, so I'm going to drag them down. Because if you had to walk through what I went through, I deserve that. Envy is focused on not just injustice, but cutting the other person down to size. And that's what Paul's saying is happening in Galatia. In Galatia. Really, what's happened in Galatia is there has become a group that believes in Jesus and a group that says, we believe in Jesus, but the people who are really in with Jesus are the people who put on their body the mark of circumcision. And the people who believe in Jesus and put on their body the mark of circumcision, they're just a little bit above, and everyone else is just a little bit below. They're just a little bit more in, and the other people are just a little bit more out. And it's destroying the community in the church in Galatia. In 5.15, Paul says this, though. He says, for the whole law is fulfilled in one statement, love your neighbor as yourself, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out, or you will be consumed by one another. And the interesting thing that Paul is saying is throughout the book of Galatians, he's talked about being filled with the Holy Spirit and the flesh, And they're not the same. But he's also talked about love and the flesh. And they're not the same. And what he's saying is to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit is actually to love people, not based on how you compare yourself to them, but based on the law of Jesus Christ, which is love. Paul is offering them another way to relate to each other that's based on the cross of Jesus Christ where if you believe and you rest in what Jesus has done for you, you're all the way in. Down at the foot of the cross, everyone's equal. There is no up or down. And so instead of being consumed by comparison, and he invites them to see the cross of Jesus and really look at what Jesus deserved and what he gave up for you and me. In 6.2, Paul says this, carry one another's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. This morning, our kids did a great job, didn't they, of coming in? It was a little wild, but uh, no, one, no one was injured. That's good. And we celebrated the triumphal entry. The week before the cross, Jesus comes into Jerusalem And he rides on an unridden on donkey, meaning that he is a true king, he is royalty, and the people grab palm branches, which means they agree that he's royalty, and they think that he's coming to Jerusalem in order to step into power. But Jesus hadn't come to step into power, he'd come to be a king that died on a cross. And so he got down off the donkey in order to be lifted up 
on a cross for you and me. And he went to the cross to bear our burden for sin. Though you and I have rebelled against God, though you and I have said, Jesus, get off the donkey. We want to be king and queen of our own life. Jesus got off the donkey and was lifted up on a cross in order to take the place that you and I deserve under the wrath of God. You see, Jesus deserved all the praise and honor of Palm Sunday. And yet that's not where he was headed. Instead, he was beaten and flogged. And just as he walked or he rode on a donkey through Jerusalem, so just days later, he would crawl through Jerusalem under the burden of the cross for you and me. Not because of something in you and me, but because of the love in him for all of us. And the amazing thing about the cross is though it's not a pretty image, the cross is not just a religious symbol. It is the torture device of the first century. It is the electric chair of the first century. And you and I might give ourselves up in love to save a child in this church, right? If we saw a child in this church that was in the street and a car coming, we would run and we would put that child out of the way and risk our lives because of the innocence of that child. But we see Jesus' great love for us. We're not innocent children in God's eyes, and yet Jesus came to die for us. We are much more like a criminal about to go to the electric chair for all the bad things that we've done. And I don't know anyone who's walked into a maximum security prison and said, who's next in the chair? I will take their spot. And yet that's exactly what Jesus did when he was lifted up on the cross for you and I. Simply because of his great love for you and for me. He bared our burden of sin. He got down off the donkey in order to be lifted up on the cross so that you and I would not be put out by God, but through faith and repentance in Jesus, we could be brought in and we could call ourselves God's blended family. We're God's because of what Jesus has done. We deserve execution for our rebellion against God, and yet Jesus took that for us, and that's what we celebrate this week, and that's called the good news of the gospel. That's what Christianity is all about, and it totally changes the comparison game. It completely changes how you compare, because rather than these petty things that we often find ourselves stuck in and comparing ourselves to one another, we then ask the question, who did Jesus carry the cross for? And whoever you're, you're comparing yourself to, the answer is that person and you. So whether you think you're below them or whether you think you're above them, everything is even at the cross because Jesus bore the burden for you and that other person. Who was Jesus cast out for? You and that other person. Who needs Jesus' love? You and that other person. So the question for you, first of all, is have you received that love in Jesus? 
Have you looked to the cross? Have you seen your sin and see that's where I deserve to be? And yet he went there for me. And therefore, I'm going to look at, at my sin the way he looks at it. I'm going to, I'm going to despise it. I'm going to turn away from it. And I'm going to look up to the cross for the first time and say, I'm going to rest in what Jesus has done for me. I'm going to receive the good news. And I'm going to rely on Jesus Christ, trusting that what he's done, he's taken my place, and therefore I can have a relationship with the God of the universe. If you have not done that, this is your week to do it. There's no better week to begin following Jesus than Easter week. And even as I see people who are about to be baptized and have made that decision, because they themselves have trusted Jesus and come to new life as new creation, so can you. This is your week, and what will happen is if you do that, God will fill you with his love in a new way. Because as you see the love of Jesus for you, you're filled with his love for others. Carry one another's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. And what the gospel of Jesus Christ does to us is as we go from looking above, like we're above others, or we're in and other people are out, it changes what we do. Instead of looking above or below, in or out, we get down low with other people. The gospel causes you to get low, to lift others up. Look what he says in verse 1. Brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, in other words, if someone's stuck in a sin, you who are spiritual, restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you also won't be tempted. In other words, if you see another Christian who's stuck in something, they're stuck in some sin or wrongdoing, if the love of Jesus is really inside you, it will change the way you approach that other person. And though you're not stuck in that sin, you don't approach them as someone who's above them. You're in it with them. I'm here to help you. Jesus bore my burden for sin. I want to get in this with you and help you break free. And I know that I'm just as likely to do that thing that you're doing as well. And so when Paul uses the word spiritual, we've co-opted that term and like spiritual people are like the people that are way up here. And that's not what Paul means at all. By spiritual, he means people who have been affected by the gospel of Jesus Christ and filled with God's love in Jesus Christ and look at their brothers and sisters and say, I see something in your life. I can't let it go because I love you, but I don't enter in thinking that I'm above you. Because the only one who's lifted up was Jesus, who was lifted up on the cross. I'm on the level that you are. I could just as easily go down that path. As the famous saying goes, there but for the grace of God go I. But I am going to be in it with you. I'm going to get low in order to lift you up. See, once the love of Jesus affects people, there's no up and down. There's no in and out. There's only, I'm going to get down in it with you. Because it's not about me. My, like when I see you in a sin, it's not about my opportunity to prove I'm more mature than you. That's not the point. 
I need help in all the areas that I'm stuck in sin, and so I'm going to get down and dirty in your life to help you break free because I need that as well. I'm going to give myself up for you to help lift you up. What would happen if we really took that seriously in the church? We can't just let each other go because we see the destruction of sin, but we can't enter into that thinking that we're better than other people because Jesus is the only one who's better. What would it look like if we approached each other and took that seriously in the church or in your home with your spouse or your kids? What would it look like if you took that seriously in your friendships and you treated the other person with love? Because the gospel utterly changes how we relate because it changes how we compare. In verses 3 through 5, Paul says this, For if anyone considers himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Let each person examine his own work, and then he can take pride in himself alone and not compare himself with someone else, for each person will have to carry his own load. Our hearts are prone to compare And what Paul is saying is that your heart and my heart are prone to compare to someone else's failure. So our hearts are looking for the failures of others to feel better about ourselves. And what Paul is saying is if you see yourself through the gospel lens, it will change the way you look at other people. But it will also change the way that you look at yourself because you'll stop comparing yourself to other people's failures and instead see your own failures but it won't crush you because your failures are the very reason that Jesus died for you. And so you don't need to be better than other people, but you also don't need to despair about your own failures because Jesus loves you even in the midst of your failures. You're a sinner saved by grace who is loved by Jesus Christ. And when you evaluate yourself based on someone's failures, the only person you're really deceiving is yourself. But clarity comes through seeing the cross and daily examining yourself, not according to your standards, but according to God's standards. And every day, here's what you'll find. You failed to honor God in a lot of areas of your life. You've fallen short of the glory of God again. And yet, every one of your failures, every one of your sins, every ounce of your heart that's rebellious against God is forgiven through Jesus' shed blood for you. And if we started every day looking at ourselves through that lens, how would it change how we walk through the day? Rather than comparing ourselves to other failures, we get out of bed and we go, I need God's grace again, and guess what? I get it. It's mine because of what Jesus has done for me. Again, I need Jesus. And yet that doesn't lead you to do nothing. Like, it's not that as as if nothing matters and I can just sort of sit there and be a bump on the log. Paul says we're supposed to carry our own load. That means we're supposed to live productive lives 
and we're supposed to pursue God's kingdom together. Grace motivates us to do those things, to carry responsibilities, and to actually even compare ourselves with ourselves. Like to almost see two versions of yourself in this world. That if the gospel of Jesus Christ is really impacting you, there's a version of you that does not care And there's a version of you that says, just like I've been impacted by the gospel, I want to make an impact for the gospel in my church, in my family, in my neighborhood, and in my world. Look how he says it here in verse 7 and 8. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, he will also reap, because the one who sows to his flesh will reap destruction from the flesh, but the one who sows to the spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. There's really two versions of you, uh, and you're meant to compare them to each other. There's, there's one, there's a version of you that wants to build your entire life around you. And then there's another version of you that says, I've been impacted by the gospel, and I'm going to build my life around impacting others by the gospel. There's a version of you that lives life for this life, and a version of you that lives life with eternity in mind. There's a version of you that says, I'm going to come to church so I can cross it off my weekly checklist. And there's a version of you that says, going to church isn't enough. I want to be the church. There's a version of you that sits in the pew and then goes out and does what you want versus a version of you that comes in to be refreshed by the gospel and says, I want to go out and do what Jesus wants me to do in this world. There's a version of you that sows to the flesh and sows to the spirit. And we're meant to... We're meant to see the different paths for our lives. And we're meant to compare those versions. I want to take you back to the moment when this really first hit me. May 20th, 2000. Memphis, Tennessee, an event called One Day. I was in college and my friends and I drove up from Auburn, Alabama to Memphis, Tennessee. We got in a car accident on the way there, which made us think And then this man that I'd never heard of got up into the pulpit and had an intensity to him. That made me uncomfortable because it made me examine two versions of my life. And I I sat there in this crowd of 40,000 college students just to to the right of the stage and heard this. If you can play the video. Maybe finish school Get a good job, find a husband or a wife, a nice house, a nice car, long weekends, good vacations, grow old, healthy, have a fun retirement, die easy, no hell, and that's all you want. You don't give a rip whether your life counts on this earth for eternity. That's a tragedy in the making. That is a tragedy in the making. About three weeks ago, we got news at our church that Ruby Eliason and Laura Edwards were killed in Cameroon. Ruby Eliason. 
over 80, single all her life, a nurse, poured her life out for one thing, to make Jesus Christ known among the sick and the poor in the hardest and most unreached places. Laura Edwards, a medical doctor in the Twin Cities, and then in retirement, partnering up with Ruby, also pushing 80, and going from village to village in Cameroon. And the brakes give way. Over a cliff they go, and they're dead instantly. And I, two women in their 80s, almost, a, a whole life devoted to one idea, Jesus Christ magnified among the poor and the sick in the hardest places. And 20 years after most of their American counterparts had begun to throw their lives away on trivialities in Florida and New Mexico, fly into eternity with a death in a moment. Is this a tragedy, I asked? It is not a tragedy. I'll read you what a tragedy is. I've got a little article here from Reader's Digest. This is a tragedy. Title of the article, Start Now, Retire Early, February 1998. Bob and Penny took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, play softball, and collect shells. That's a tragedy. That's a tragedy. And there are people in this country that are spending billions of dollars to get you to buy it. And I get 40 minutes to plead with you, don't buy it. With all my heart, I plead with you, don't buy that dream. The American dream. A nice house, a nice car, a nice job, a nice family, a nice retirement, collecting shells. As the last chapter before you stand before the creator of the universe to give an account with what you did. Here it is, Lord, my shell collection. Look, Lord, my shell collection. And I've got a good swing. And look at my boat. God. Look at my boat, God. Well, not for Ruby and not for Laura. Don't waste your life. Don't waste it.
We sat there, 40,000 of us, to hear John Piper, before he was John Piper, give that message. And that moment really became a defining moment for my generation who were walking with Jesus. Y2K had just happened and we felt like, hey, we survived. And we're going to be all right. And then John Piper steps onto the stage and says, there's really two versions of you. There's one of you who will, there's a version of you that will pursue a job and a spouse and kids and money as the end goal of life. And there's others of you that will have a job and get married and have children and realize that there is a greater goal in life. Impacting people with the gospel of Jesus. Being a servant of Jesus in your home and at your job and with your spouse and looking at your money not as just something to spend on your own pleasures but as a tool that God has given you for the kingdom of God. And there in that crowd of 40,000 students, I stood or sat stage right and I felt the weight of the rest of my life. Two versions of me, which path would I choose? And the very things that many of us thought were the goal of life, Piper says to focus on that as the goal would be to waste and that phrase, don't waste your life, rung through the crowd and through my generation. We realized that to get everything our heart desired wasn't to live with eternity in mind, but rather to be people who are impacted by the love of Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, to be people who are impacted by the gospel so that we could live our lives to impact others with the gospel to receive the love of God in Jesus so that we might love our neighbors and our enemies, that a life well lived wasn't a life spent on our own pleasures, but a life given away for Jesus Christ. To serve our neighbors in Jesus' name, to, to disciple our kids to love the Savior, to forgive our enemies because we're forgiven, to be a representative of Jesus in our workplace, in our family, and on our street. And... What Paul tells us, to give yourself away in a local church. To give yourself away in a local church. To be all in with your church. The church is God's plan A for gospel impact. There is no plan B. Look at what he says in 6 verse 6. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the teacher. And what he's saying there is if you want to have your eye on eternity, you are all in with the church. Now, when he's saying share all good things with the teacher, that doesn't mean you come up to me and you're like, hey, I really like that opening illustration that you did, John, in your sermon. What he's calling you to is to be all in with your church. That idea of sharing all good things is saying that you are the good thing. And that you want to make an impact for Jesus Christ by being a faithful member of your church and giving away your time, your treasure, and your talent. Your time, 
you're called to be more than a pew sitter. You're called to be a representative of Jesus in the church. It's not enough just to come on Sunday mornings and then check out and do whatever you want during the but to say, we have a mission. You know, as we look at different ministries in our church, one of the things that has been the hardest thing for us to get people to step up to is prayer and outreach. And yet these are the very things that ring with the sound of eternity. To pray to God and ask him to move. To step out in our neighborhood and say, we are representatives of Jesus and we love you. And I want to encourage you, give your time away. You are needed. But then also your treasure. That's actually what Paul is leaning into in the language that he's using. Good things he's saying Step up and be generous with your finances so that the mission of the gospel can go out from the church. If you've been impacted by the word of God, if the gospel has changed you, then put your money where your mouth is. Now, I know that's tough to say in our day and age, but I just said it. And I want you to understand that our church budget is focused on mission. Our church budget is $200,000 even. And the reason that it's not $300,000 is we don't want to spend money on lights and smokes and shows and huge events. We want to impact people with the gospel. And that $200,000 is a slim budget for a church. In fact, I know people that have budgets that are about the same and don't have a church building. And I say that because I want you to trust that when you give your money and you say, I'm in with my finances, that it is going to the mission of the gospel. We moved down here because we wanted to give our lives away and impact this community with the gospel. I did not come down here to be a social media influencer. I did not come down here to get on preachers and sneakers, if you know what that is. We came down here because we wanted to see the community impacted with the gospel. And we invite you to step in and be part of it with us to give your time, your treasure and, our, and your talent. Each of you has something that you can do and many of you are doing it and serving. But to serve with joy and commit yourself with a servant spirit of joy for this church. That you, you say you show up and you actually do. You don't look to just do one thing. What can I do? How can I give myself away? How can I share myself? And here's a hard question that I've been thinking about all week for myself. What if everyone in the church functioned like you did in the church? What if everyone in the church functioned like you around your time, your talent, or your treasure? What kind of church would this be? Would it be a church where people give the minimal amount of time, where people just put a little bit in so they can say they did into the offering plate? Or would it be a church that's full of joy in what Jesus has done for us and that this is our moment in history to impact this community with the gospel and people giving themselves away in love to one another and to this church. It's not about guilt. It's about the beauty of what Jesus has done for us and saying it has impacted our lives. We're here to give our lives away so that it can impact others with his love. It's not about performance. It's about the promise 
question that Paul asks is, are you all in? And if you are all in, be encouraged. What you're doing matters. Here we are, this small little church that's struggling to pay our bills. It matters that you serve. It matters that you give. It matters that you show up. Because God is going to use it to ring through all of eternity. Just as I said, if we had not been here, there's at least two people here that would have not come to know Jesus Christ. And so I would encourage you to be all in and challenge you. If you've been impacted by the gospel, it matters. Give yourself away. And I think one of the challenges is that, especially in South Florida, what rules us is fear of missing out in the moment, FOMO, right? And we don't want to miss an opportunity to, to do what other people are doing, and so we, we, don't, we become noncommittal and we don't go all in. But what Paul's saying is, listen, have fear of missing out, but not in what other people are doing. Have fear of missing out in a life that's full of gospel joy and gospel love and gospel sacrifice here in the church. God is going to use your life when you give it to him. Don't be afraid of missing out on what the world is doing. Be afraid of getting drawn away from the church and afraid of what God's doing and missing out on sowing a seed in the spirit that's giving your life away in the name of Jesus. Paul ends with this. Let us not get tired of doing good. Do you ever get tired of doing good in the church? Come on, I get tired. But have a big picture of eternity in view. Because when King Jesus returns, we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us work for the good of all. See, there's the opportunity. There's the fear of missing out, not being the church. We're going to miss out on being what the church is, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. As we come to the cross, the comparison game is over. But then Paul invites us, compare your life with a life, your life, with no gospel purpose versus a life that has been deeply impacted by Jesus' love for you and a commitment to say, I will serve him together with these people. I'm all in. And when Christ returns, he will reward us greatly because he is gracious and he is good. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the gospel, both that it has changed us, but then also we are the ministers of reconciliation. We are the people who are gospel representatives in this community. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to see the beauty of what you've done for us. This isn't about trying hard to earn something from you. This is about looking at what you've done for us on the cross and instead resting in what Jesus has done, but then working out of what Jesus has done for us. We pray that you would free us. In your name, amen. Would you stand with me as we sing? If you want prayer, if you want to surrender again to Jesus and ask him to use your life, I'll be in the back and I'd love to pray for you. And you can sing, sing your heart out to Jesus now.